0: Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. Valley Point Church is a faith community located in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. Our mission is pointing people to real relationships and real significance. This week continues our series Unanswered. Enjoy and thanks for listening. Well, good morning and happy 4th of July weekend. It is great to see you. And it is certainly great to be back at Valley Point Church. My family's been away for a few weeks. We actually had the chance to return to Illinois and Ohio and spend some time with our family. It's actually been three years since we've been back there, so it felt good just to return and to get reacquainted and to relax a bit, but it sure feels really good to be right here at Valley Point Church today. And I have just one vacation picture to show you. Now, I, you guys love when I show you my vacation pictures. So I just have one vacation picture to show you. And that is the 18 cousins that are on the Kohler side. So there they all are. All 18 of us had the chance to be together. My mom and dad have 18 grandkids And we were all in one house together for seven days. So it was loud and messy and just a lot of fun. And we enjoyed being away. But I got to tell you, whenever I'm away, I always think about what's happening here at Valley Point Church. And I love you. I love this. And it feels so good to be back with you today. We're in our summer series right now called Unanswered. And what we're trying to do is very simple. We're looking at a statement or a question, and we're asking that. And then we're diving into Scripture to say, What does God have to say about this? And can we come up with an answer? Can we find a solution? And I know that summer is supposed to be a time where you kind of unplug and you don't think and you don't ask questions and you turn off your brain and you just kind of be. That's summer, right? Well, here at Valley Point, we're going to reverse that a bit because we want to spend our Sunday mornings thinking a little bit about some unanswered questions. And again, just diving into Scripture and let's discover what God has to say about this. So today, here's our question. Does God actually see me? And I want you to personalize that. Just put your name right in there. Does God actually see me? With all the stuff that is happening around the world, with all of the issues, and with all of the big problems that just seem enormous. Does God actually see me and my issues and my hurt and my pain and even my successes? Does God actually see me? And I want you to think about this. If God doesn't see me, then that means I'm on my own and I have to find my way, which actually sounds a bit difficult. But if God does see me, And that has some pretty serious ramifications for my life. So, our unanswered question today is Does God actually see me? And here's the short answer Yes, God does actually see me. He is aware and is interested in what is happening to me. But he goes beyond that. So, here's the deal God sees me. He sees you, but he takes it a step further. He not only sees, he acts. And that brings us to our big idea for today, which says, God sees me and he acts. And this is what I want to spend our time thinking about today, that God does see me. This is true. Even with everything else that is happening in the world, with all of the big issues that he has to spend his time on, My issues, my problems might not be as severe or as intense as some of that, but it doesn't matter because God has the ability to see me all of the time, but he takes it a step further. Not only does God see, but he also acts. And this is really good news for us. So smile a bit. Can you do that on this 4th of July weekend? God sees, but he also acts. There's a unique characteristic of God. That helps us to understand, I think, in very compassionate ways that God not only sees me, but he also acts. And I want to think about this unique characteristic of God today, and it's going to help answer our question, does God actually see me? But before that, let me ask this question. How do you describe someone? How do you do that? If someone came to you and said, Hey, describe your son to me, or your daughter, or your husband, or your wife, or your boss, or a friend, describe them to me, what do you think you would do? Well, you would probably begin to describe some of their characteristics, because in describing those characteristics, you are painting a picture of that person. And the individual who's asking the question can get an idea of what this person is like. That makes sense, doesn't it? For example, if you were to come to me and ask me to describe one of my sons, I'll pick Chandler. I have three sons, but we'll pick on Chandler today. I would probably show you a picture of Chandler like this. And then I would begin probably to describe some of his physical characteristics. Well, Chandler's 5'8". He's 16 years old in another week and a half. He has brown hair and brown eyes, and he gets really tan over the summer. That's how I would describe his physical characteristics. But in describing Chandler to you, I, as his father, would want to do so much more. I would describe other things. And I would say, you know what? You want me to describe Chandler to you Here's Chandler, he loves to laugh, loves to laugh, and he is quick to smile, he is obedient on most days. He does have a few issues here and there like we all do, but by and large he's very obedient, he is generous, he is competitive, and he has a soft heart for people, that's Chandler. You describe someone by looking into their characteristics, whether they are physical or non physical. This is how we describe people, and it is the same exact way with God. When we are trying to discover God, and when we ask things like, What is he like? What makes him happy? What makes him upset? How can we please God? We look to his characteristics and we do that because it gives us a great picture of God. I would encourage you, whenever you are studying scripture or whenever you're listening to a talk and someone describes a characteristic of God or you see it somewhere in scripture, I would encourage you to write that down, circle it, underline it, journal it, whatever you have to do So that you can remember that particular characteristic because these are all things that help us to know God. And so today I want to go back to our question, does God actually see me? And the answer is yes, he does more than see, he sees and he acts. And so to help us get this and understand it, I want to describe to you a characteristic of God. So I'm excited about this, are you ready for this characteristic? Here we go. God sees me because he is assiduous. There you go. It's a great word, isn't it? God sees me and he acts because he is assiduous. Now, what does that word mean? Well, I'd encourage you to get your program because there is a section there where you can take some notes And it would be good for you to write some of these things down because I want you to remember this characteristic of God. Whenever you doubt or you wonder, does God actually see me? And I know he has all these other issues and problems that he has to focus in on right now, but does God actually see me and my pain and my hurt? Does God see me? So I want you to think about this. And I know you didn't come today on the 4th of July weekend to do a word study, But just hang with me for a few minutes because I think this is kind of fascinating. So, what does that word mean? The word assiduous means showing great care, attention, and effort. It actually has Latin roots. It's a verb and it can be translated as to sit beside, to take care of, or to assist. So, when I say that God is assiduous... I am saying that he not only sees me, but he is willing to act. And here's how God acts He sits beside, He takes care, He assists. This is all in the character of God. And so when we say God is assiduous, he sees me and everything that is happening in my life, but he takes it a step further. He, our great, loving, compassionate, merciful God, he sits beside. He takes care. He assists. Let me ask you this. How many times have you seen a need or a problem, or an injustice, and you feel compelled to do something about that, and I need to fix that, or I need to spend some time on that, or I should give some energy and passion to this particular injustice. But then you realize the enormity of it, and well, I just can't fix all of that, and yeah, I really don't have the time, and somebody else is going to have to deal with that. So we see the problem, we see the injustice, we see the issue, but we don't act. I know I do that all of the time. I see stuff, I am aware. Intellectually, I acknowledge it, but I don't sit beside, I don't take care, I don't assist not God, not God. It is not possible for him to not act because it's not in his character. He is assiduous. He sits beside after he sees. He takes care. He assists. And he delights in doing this. So, what I'd like to do is jump into scripture for a few moments and share with you an Old Testament example of this and then a New Testament example just so we can see the assiduousness of God in action. Because I don't want you to forget this word, and I want everybody walking out of here knowing God sees me, He really does, but He does a lot more than that, He also acts. So, if you have a Bible or a device, I want you to find Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21, and while you're finding that, allow me to set some context. In Genesis chapter 21, we find a gentleman by the name of Abraham. You may remember that Abraham was given a promise or a covenant with God where God came to him and said, I'm going to make of you a great nation, Abraham. That's what I'm going to do. You're going to have so many kids and grandkids and great-grandkids that you're not even going to be able to count all of them. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. But a little bit of time passed, and Abraham got older, and his wife Sarah got a little bit older, and they were not able to have children at all. And so I'm sure they began to doubt the promise of God. Like God said, He would give us kids, and He would make a great nation of us. But time is running out, right? Like, we can't do this thing forever, and it doesn't look like it is going to happen. And so Abraham and Sarah decided they would help God out a little bit. And Sarah took her younger servant, her name was Hagar, and said, Abraham, why don't you produce a child with her? And this will be the promised son that God said that he would give to us that will produce a great nation. And so Abraham went along with that. He produced a child with Hagar by the name of Ishmael. Well, in time, wouldn't you know, Sarah gets pregnant as well, and she has a son by the name of Isaac. Isaac was the promised son that God said they would have. Ishmael was not. But now they're living in the same tent or house, whatever they lived in back in the day. And you can imagine the tension of a son who is yours, who you probably care about and love, but is not the promised son. He's there along with the promised son, and now you've got two moms who are battling this over, and there's just a lot of tension. By the way, there is always tension when we do things out of order. It just happens. When we skip God's order of doing things, there's always problems doesn't mean they can't be worked out, but there's always tension as a result. And so this is where we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 21 and verse 9. But Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham, and her Egyptian servant, Hagar, making fun of her son Isaac. So she turned to Abraham and demanded, get rid of that slave woman and her son. He is not going to share the inheritance with my son Isaac. I won't have it. Well, this upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was his son. But God told Abraham, Do not be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you. For Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. But I will also make a nation of the descendants of Hagar's son because he is your son too. So Abraham got up early the next morning, prepared food and a container of water and strapped them on Hagar's shoulders. Then he sent her away with their son, and she wandered aimlessly in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water was gone, she put the boy in the shade of a bush. Then she went and sat down by herself about a hundred yards away. I don't want to watch the boy die, she said, as she burst into tears. So this is a pretty desperate situation. Verse 17. But God heard the boy crying. And if you like to underline or circle, which I do in Scripture, I would encourage you to underline that because this is where we're picking up on God's ability to see. Here it talks about how he heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven, Hagar, what's wrong? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. Then God opened Hagar's eyes and she saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. Did God see? Yes. Did God act? Yes. The assiduousness of God on full display right here. Was this a messed up situation? You bet it was. But God saw and God acted. He is assiduous. Incredible. Now I want you to turn to John chapter 21 in the New Testament. You can actually remember the 21s here. If you're doubting if God sees you and is willing to act, I want you to remember Genesis 21. That's the story of God seeing Ishmael and responding to that need. And in John chapter 21 We're also going to discover the assiduousness of God. So while you're finding chapter 1, allow me to set some context of what's happening here. We find Jesus resurrected from the dead in John chapter 21. So he's been crucified and killed. He has paid for the sins of the world, but he has come back to life, and he is now appearing to many different people. And here in John chapter 21, he seems to appear specifically to Peter. Now, Peter was one of the disciples, one of the close followers of Jesus, and you may remember that he is the one who denied ever knowing Jesus in Jesus' greatest hour of need. Peter said, I don't even know the guy. Well, he was wrecked by that, very discouraged over that, and Scripture tells us he went out and wept bitterly once he realized what had happened, that he had denied even knowing Jesus. He was just ruined And you get the sense that Peter feels he is done serving Jesus. Like, I denied, I bailed, I'm a loser, I can't even serve Jesus anymore. And what we find in John chapter 21 is that Peter has gone back to doing what he was doing before Jesus called him. Peter was a fisherman. And here we find him fishing again, and he's fishing with some friends and some other followers of Jesus and disciples, and they're having no luck. They're not catching anything at all. Well, Jesus, in his resurrected body, appears on the shore, and he says, Hey, why don't you cast your nets on the other side of the boat? And they're like, Oh, all right, well, we can do that. We're not having any luck on this side of the boat. So they threw their nets on the other side, and they caught a ton of fish. And it is at this point that Peter begins to realize that's Jesus over there. So this is where we pick up the story in John chapter 21 and verse 7. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord, that's him over there. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to the Jersey Shore. (laughs) Just making sure you're still with me here, all right? (laughs) Verse 8. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. How kind of Jesus. He makes them something to eat. By the way, it's interesting to note, we often find Jesus eating over and over again throughout Scripture, which is kind of fascinating. So he had breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over charcoal fire and some bread, Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Verse 12 says, now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. Did God the Son see Peter's need? Yes. Did he act? Yes. Is this kind of a messed up situation? You bet it is. You've got an individual who has denied even knowing Jesus in his greatest hour of need. And he's torn and depressed and ruined. He's gone back to his former way of life. God the Son sees it. And not only does he see, but he acts He reaches out to Peter and what you'll find as you read through the rest of John 21 is that he actually restores Peter to ministry again. And what we know about Peter is that he went on to become a great leader in the early church. The assiduousness of God. Incredible. It's incredible. God sees. Oh, he sees. And we like that thought. But even better than that... God does something about what he sees. He acts. He sits beside. He takes care. He assists. Okay. What do we do with all of this? Some questions. Have you screwed up? Have doubts? Have questions that seem anti God? Have you had some angry outbursts recently? Have you denied? Have you failed? God sees you and He wants to act on your behalf. And He wants to do that because it is in His character to do so. He sees all of this and beyond that He wants to act. I love the words of Psalm 145 verse 14 that say this, The Lord helps the fallen... And lifts those bent beneath their loads. Isn't that an encouraging verse? You ever feel bent beneath life's load? Well, here's a verse for you. The Lord helps the fallen. And he lifts those bent beneath their loads. Two very interesting verbs here. He helps. It means he supports and he sustains. And then we have the verb he he lifts. Which means he raises up. And so we could read that verse this way. The Lord helps. He supports. He sustains the fallen and he raises up those bent beneath their loads. I think it's fair to say that God has a soft spot in his heart for those who are bent beneath a load. Hagar, Ishmael, really bent beneath a load that involved life and death for them. Very serious. Peter, bent beneath a load of denying and walking away and failing. And yet what we discover is that the Lord helps, he supports, he sustains the fallen, and he raises up those bent beneath their loads. Is that you today? I don't know what you've walked in the door with this morning, but perhaps... You're sitting there and you're listening and you feel very loaded up with an issue and it is bending you to the point where you are about to break and you are about to fall. Here's the takeaway for you. If you are bent beneath a load, claim the truth that God sees you and do this. Cry out to him. All right? Cry out to him. If you feel bent beneath a load, just claim the truth. God sees me. I don't know how all of this is going to work out quite yet, but claim the truth that God sees me because that's in his character and just cry out to him. Maybe the best thing you can do on this 4th of July weekend is just have a good cry with God and make sure that you give all of that hurt and that pain and whatever the stuff is that is happening to you that is causing you to feel bent beneath the load, just give that all to Him and cry out. Think about Genesis 21. It happened there. God saw and God acted. Well, maybe you get that. Well, here's the second takeaway for everybody else, and that is patiently wait for God to act. It's patiently wait. Wait is a disturbing word, isn't it? I, does anybody else hate waiting for things? I don't like waiting for stuff. I, I don't really consider myself to be a patient person, but yet this is what a life with God requires. You've got to wait patiently for God to act. How long? I don't know. I don't know. God's timing always works, though, and it's always perfect. And so, if we have been crying out to God, then it's time to patiently wait for Him to act. I shared with you that we spent time at my parents' house a couple of weeks ago outside of Chicago. I had a wonderful time. My parents have Wi-Fi in their home, just like everybody else does, almost. Uh, But it's not very fast, because just the two of them normally there. So imagine... 18 grandkids descending on their home with their phones and their iPads and iDevices and computers and Netflix just sucking out all of the bandwidth. You can imagine the Wi-Fi was just melting down to nothing. And, of course, my kids are walking around with their phones in their hands saying, Man, the Wi-Fi here really stinks. I can't get anything. Like, just be patient. It's... It's going to space and coming back. Like, give it a second. Nobody likes to be patient, right? We just don't like that. A life with God requires patience. How long? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know God sees and he acts. Because he is assiduous, he sits beside, he takes care, and he assists all in his timing. So our big idea, God sees and acts. Do you feel bent beneath a load? Then claim the truth that God sees you and cry out to him. And then, if necessary, wait patiently for God to act. Does God actually see me? Well, you bet he does. You bet he does. But it's so much better than that. He sees and he acts because he is assiduous. Father, we're thankful for what we have discovered this morning. For Genesis chapter 21 and for John chapter 21, these 21 chapters here, they're just incredible because they reveal to us, a narrative of how God has this ability to see, but He goes beyond that. He also acts. God, so often I see needs and I am aware of injustice and problems, but I just keep on going. I don't pause to sit beside, to take care, or to assist. I assume somebody else will do that. But that's not you. It's not you. It's just not in your character to do that. And so God, I pray that on this holiday weekend, you'd help us all to walk out of here with a great sense that you see, but you also act because you are an assiduous God and this is part of your character. So God, for all those bent beneath a load this morning, whatever that looks like, whether that's a relational thing at work or at home, Whether that's something between a husband and a wife, or kids, or some other relational challenge. Whether people are here and they're just bent beneath a financial load. Or, God, maybe sickness has invaded. God, for all those just bent right now, help them to claim the truth hard as it can be sometimes that you do see and God I pray that you give them opportunity today tomorrow throughout the week to just cry out to you like Hagar did and then God would you help everyone here to wait patiently for you to act we want things in an instant it's what we're used to and we always want you to act on our timeline that's not how you work you're beyond us and beyond our understanding so God would you give all of us patience to wait for you to act on our behalf whatever the need may be help us to rest in your assiduousness you sit beside you take care of and you assist we praise you for that and we honor you and as we move into a time of worship now God may these words be real and true and raw for us help us to lift them up and to honor you we pray in Jesus name Amen Thanks for listening we'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.